Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast. Featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders, the show and podcast will inform educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, this is Tom Dioro. Thank you, Shay. For our guest today, please welcome Aaron Dobson, architect and partner at Quatroki Quok Architects. Check them out at www.qka.com. Aaron is also a board member of the Collaborative of High Performance Schools, Better Buildings, Better Students, a leading national movement to improve student performance and the entire educational experience by building the best possible schools. You can find out more about them at www.chps.net. That's www.chps.net. Hello, Aaron. We're excited to have you on The Modern Architect today. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here to talk to you. Thank you. Aaron, tell us how long you've been an architect and partner at QKA and how you came about becoming a board member of the Collaborative of High Performance Schools. Okay. So (laughs) uh, I've been working in architecture since I graduated from college in 2000. Um, And I've been at Quatroki Quok Architects for about uh, 15 years now. It'll be 15 years this summer. Awesome. Um, And I think I've been a principal there for about five or six years. Five, six. What school uh, did you go to for our audience, please? Uh, University of California, Berkeley. Okay, great. Thank you. What? So. What got you started in, in architecture in general? Was it something you, you get, did through at school, before school? What what uh, kind of inspired you? Sure. Um, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, in a weird way perhaps, I, I've kind of always wanted to be an architect. Okay. Uh, when I was a kid, it was sort of, what do you want to be when you grew up? Fireman, astronaut, architect. Okay. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> Just something I was always interested in and... Yeah. and and, you know, took some design classes and things, uh, drafting classes in high school and, and continued to pursue that. And it just uh, something I was always interested in. And the more I learned about it, the, I guess the more interested yeah. I became. Nice. So continued to pursue it as my career. Was that reinforced like in family or friends? Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in the woods kind of and we were building forts all the time. And my parents are working on their house and and, uh, and things like that. And so there was there was definitely building involved yeah. a lot. 
about Legos. Oh, yeah? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you, it got started um, real early then. Yeah. Unless you're still playing with them. I don't know. Well, I have a, I have a, my son and I play with Legos. Nice. He's, he's seven, so. Oh, perfect. <laughs> he's right in that Lego wheelhouse. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, in that way I do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's just something I've always been interested in building and, yeah. and uh, space and all those kind of things. Yeah. So you've mm. been interested in architecture since you were basically a kid. Yeah. And uh, at some point was there, hey, you know what? This is what I really want to do. Was there was there kind of an epiphany, or no? It was gradual. Yeah, I think it was more gradual. It was uh, something that you know, as I, I don't know, it's just something I kind of felt like I always wanted to do. And as I learned more about it, you know, and through high school, uh, taking drafting classes at the school I grew up, and and the teacher was an architect, and talking to him uh-huh. oh, is about that, right? that wow. yeah, and uh, and then I did a little work for you know friends of my parents that were an architect in town, and and helped them out a little bit when I was in high school, and then you know when I applied to college, I applied to go to to as an architecture major and yeah. pursued that pretty in a very linear path, really. Yeah. Did you go to the school before you entered and say, hey, you know what, I, I like their department, or there was something about it that drew you? Yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, there's not a lot of options for architecture schools, okay, especially yeah. public schools in California. And we have, you know, a number of very, uh, very good uh, architecture programs. But, yeah. you know, I applied to most of them and then kind of went on tours for different ones and, and settled on, on going to Berkeley yeah. as a program I I thought that would fit me well and a lot of flexibility to pursue different kinds of uh, studies within architecture and also, um, you know, a world-class university to be able to study whatever I wanted to as far yeah, as all yeah. the other things that go along with college and, uh-huh. and uh, you know, learning about the world and learning about all the other parts of education. Yeah. So, so. There were, were there any parts of it that you that made you think, hey, is this the right field to get into or uh, no, you were pretty. No, I was determined. pretty straight ahead and, yeah. and <laughs> that's, like, I knew that's what ahead. I wanted to do and, yeah. and uh, kind of went uh, went forward with that and, and, you know, studied it pretty directly. I was always interested in sustainability as part of that from the very yeah. beginning, and that's a big emphasis of what they teach there at, at Berkeley. And uh, so, you know, I, I think it was really kind of following that and focusing on that and, and just learning more about it. I mean, I, I like to learn about all kinds of things. So yeah. um, just, you know, I think college was great and got to explore a lot of different things and uh, learn a lot about architecture and a lot about design and a yeah. lot about how uh, design impacts people and how people are a good part, a big part of that, and now how, how um, you know how buildings influence people in the world. Yeah, and so how did that uh, did that lead you right to uh, Q your uh, your company? Can no, you say it again? Because we well, I was really trying to, and I said I'm not going to mess up, and, it, and yes. I did. So it's so, it's uh, Quatroki Quack Architects. Perfect. Uh, from the two founders, Mark Quatroki and Steve Kwok. Okay. And, uh, no, I didn't start there right away. Okay. I worked at a couple of different places while I was in college doing summer internships and things like that, a small residential, uh, just a couple-man shop in Marin County. And then I worked for uh, an interior design firm in San Francisco for my last year or six months or so of school and about first half a year or so after that, and they did corporate retail interiors. Okay. And that was interesting and, you know, learning about different things, but um, – I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do long term, but it was a, a really good learning opportunity, an opportunity to learn how to manage projects and work with clients and just sort of how the business of getting a set of drawings together yeah. works. Uh, and then I actually moved down and worked down in Monterey for about a year and nice. a half and uh, lived down there for a while, had uh, my you know friends and things that lived down there. And so I went down there for a while and worked there and did a lot of different kinds of things there. Uh, and then moved up to where our firm is located in Santa Rosa, um, okay. up north, uh, 
in uh, a few years after that and um, got into working there. You know, it was it seemed like a good fit. Um, our firm does in pretty much entirely public K through 12 school okay. projects in the Bay Area and, and really always has. Um, and that seemed interesting. Uh, yeah. I hadn't really worked on school projects before, um, but definitely thought that might be interesting and got into it. And as I've gotten into it, it's something I found that I really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, working on schools and, and working with public school teachers and, and students and staff and communities uh, to design you know, to design school buildings that really support learning and education and, and are sustainable and support students. And I think that's, you know, education's an important yeah. thing. So, yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. So did you, uh, it, you, it sounds like you obviously enjoyed that whole process. Was it, was it during that process that you said, hey, you know what, I want to stay in this. I really like yeah. it. Yeah. I think the more I got into working in schools and, and you know, our firm and, and the, you know, the culture there and the people and everything and, and but also just working in schools, most of my family are actually educators. Huh. Uh, my wife's a teacher. Both of my brothers are teachers. I think I have two or three oh. sisters-in-laws that are teachers now. And uh, so uh, you know, most of my family's involved in education in one way or the other. And so, yeah. you know, value education and public education a lot. And as an architect, um, that's a way I can do that and, and, you know, make a difference with what we do, that if we do a really good job designing a school, hopefully it, it creates a better place for learning and has an impact on the lives of students for a long time. And that's something that that I enjoy and I think really everyone that we work with enjoys um, is that yeah. ability to kind of use what we do to make a difference in people's lives. Yeah. So we segue into the uh, the collaborative of high performance schools. How did yeah. you uh, how did you become involved with with them, and uh, what what mm-hmm. made you so excited about working with them? So I've always been invo- interested in sustainable design. It's something that that I became interested in when I was at Berkeley, and and uh, have pursued in various ways throughout my career. But it's also been an interest of the firm for a long time, and that really starts with actually with. Mark Quatroki and his work when he was at Berkeley as a grad student and mm-hmm. working on passive solar design and doing research on that. And he brought that to his practice when he started it. And so bringing sustainable design to schools and, and, and doing that. And, and the firm was actually involved in the founding of Collaborative for High Performance Schools, which I think was in 1999. Or Is that right? So right you, around then. Oh, wow. They, okay. they um, yeah, they... They helped contribute to kind of some of the initial documents that they put together, which is a best practices manual that kind of uh, documents and uh, provides some guidance on, on how to implement various sustainable design strategies. And so they were involved in, in drafting that and were working on a couple of uh, schools using the CHIPS uh, criteria when I first started working there. And so as I began working on schools I, there, I, I became involved with that and understood that and kind of pushed that forward and tried to bring that to more of our clients and, and help them understand the value of sustainable design and bring that to more of our projects. Yeah. Speaking of the sustainable design, do you find that it's becoming a, just more standard in the industry as a whole? I know we're segueing in a bit, but... Yeah, I do. I think um, I think that's changed. That's probably the change that I've seen the most over the you know 15 years now of my career is that it used to be that we needed to convince our clients, the school districts and, and owners about the value of sustainability and looking at energy efficiency and looking at, um, you know, quality environments and, and air quality and things like that. And I think those conversations have become a lot easier. Yeah. It's also that the, the building codes have pushed that forward too with the, the green code or the California green building code with, um, you know, with various 
policies that the state has about energy efficiency, the California Energy Code, those kinds of things, especially for us working here in Northern California, that it's it's become more and more standard practice. Not entirely, and mm-hmm. it's definitely something we still push for and, and still move that forward, but it's, uh, it's definitely something that um, has – Conversation has changed over time. I think the, the value of it is sort of more widely recognized. Okay. And, uh, and, and so it's a little bit easier to kind of start that conversation, but we, we always have to approach it from a value standpoint, too, and making sure that, that we're uh, considering how much things cost and weighing the costs and the benefits to that, given that we're always working with, with public schools and public money. Yeah. So you were, in essence, it sounds like a catalyst. We're trying to be. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I think every project's a little bit different, but we always try to advocate for that, but really do that in a way that we're providing choices to our our clients and the, and the schools and the communities about, you know, we could we could go in these different directions yeah. with the design, and here's the costs and benefits of that. But it's always their decision. Yeah, we talked about you know how much of your of your, is your of your work on a day to day basis is actual uh, design, and mm-hmm. how much is actually interfacing with people. Yeah, and I was blown <laughs> away by this. How much was it? So I would say on my day to day basis, probably ninety percent of what I do is is interfacing with people, um, and and I think that's a function of partly the the type of work that we do in in schools are very hands-on in public and we have uh you know we don't have one client we have a whole community that we're working for and so we interface with uh the school district on a variety of levels from the administration to the teachers to the um to the school board and then also you know meeting with communities and making presentations and things like that but part of that's my role in the firm as a principal of the firm uh, and so oftentimes I'm managing and overseeing and, and guiding our project teams and our project architects. And, and my role in that is often to work with the clients, but also mm-hmm. to help them solve problems, move things forward, make sure they've got all the bases covered. So a lot of it's meeting with the project teams that are that are doing and executing the design. Yeah. Uh, and then another part of my job is, is uh, kind of handling the human resources kind of aspect of our firm. So hiring and, and uh, dealing with that. And so that, that's talking to people too. Yeah. All <laughs> yeah, facets, I'm, not just uh, architecture, all facets uh, of the hiring? <clears throat> yes. But, okay. uh, but <laughs> that being said, most of that is architecture. Okay. Because yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. So yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many clients do you work with? I know you work with uh, – all the United, not the United States. That's the uh, chips is mm-hmm. the, throughout the United States. Yes. But your work is in California primarily. Yeah, our work okay. is is really entirely in Northern California and oh, for Northern, the mo- okay. and for the most part in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. And so we work with school districts all over the Bay Area at any one time. We're probably working with twenty or thirty different school districts. Uh, we have a staff of wow. uh, 52, I think, this week. Uh, this week? <laughs> well, we, we had a new employee start <laughs> okay. on, on Wednesday, so okay. <laughs> I think he's number 52. <laughs> okay. And uh, so we have a, a pretty big staff, and, and so we're a good mid-sized firm, and we, we cover public K-12 uh, schools across the, the Bay Area. Yeah. What are some of the, what's some of the unique challenges that you've in, 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 uh, come across in, say, say, the last five years? Okay, make it make it the last year. Make it simple. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think one of the challenges that we face right now is that there's a lot of pressure on cost escalation across the Bay Area, especially oh, yeah. with how busy the construction market is. And, and we're seeing, you know, sometimes double-digit escalation in a single year. And so that's a challenge for us to deal with because we've got uh, – a fixed amount of money for our projects, and there's we never had a project, but there's enough money to do everything everyone wants because these are public schools, and so just working that's a constant part of what we do. But it's uh, the last few years have 
last year really has been kind of extra challenging in that because costs have been going up so much. Yeah. So um, that's a challenge, but it's, you know, I think it's one that every architect faces. And, yeah. uh, uh, but it's one that, yeah. that we work through all the time and that we're used to dealing with. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Worldwide Orphans Foundation seeks to transform the lives of orphan children and help them become healthy, independent, productive members of their communities and the world. The programs differ according to the country's specific needs, but often include centrally located community-based healthcare services, education for orphans and caregivers, and enrichment opportunities, such as participation in sports or day camps. To learn more or volunteer or make a donation, visit www.wwo.org. That's www.org. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford. We're talking today with Aaron Jobson, architect, principal at KQA, and acting board member of the Collaborative for High Performance Schools. Check them out at chps.net. That's chps.net. Aaron, we're talking about some of the challenges, and you you were mentioning the escalation of uh, prices here, and particularly the Bay Area, and how does that affect the schools? It's just a challenge that we have to work. I mean, it affects how much they can do for the fixed amount of money that they have. So funding for our projects is always uh, a challenge and something that we work with uh, closely. But um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the other, you know, maybe to turn that question around a little bit, Tom, is I think one of the opportunities that we see a lot lately is is really just kind of exploring the idea of how uh, education is changing a lot in the okay. world and, and, and you know what education looked like and what schools have looked like for the last hundred years uh, is is changing a lot as we go into the 21st you know further into the 21st yeah. century and, and how education is delivered and, and not so much uh, you know moving from kind of a factory model of moving yeah. uh, from one classroom to the next and sort of adding bits of information to everyone as they move forward but that's yeah. not really you know what we need for uh, for students and, and for the young people now. It needs to be more dynamic and more reflective of what's needed in the 21st century and kind of our economy now. And and looking at how schools can adapt to that and and how those designs can be different. And we do a lot with that. But also how um, and kind of getting back to chips, how buildings can influence learning and how a good dis- a well designed classroom, a well designed learning space can benefit. Uh, education and, and kind of explaining that to our clients yeah. and having them understand that, incorporating that into our design, so that we're really designing spaces that are high performance, as as the collaborative for high performance schools gets to, which is really kind of I like to think about as going beyond just green and sustainable, but thinking about not only green and sustainable, but how do these spaces really create learning environments that function really well yeah. and that um, increase student achievement, really. I like that. So it sounds like you're actually, uh, if I'm off base, let me know. It sounds like you're actually designing around the child. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's that's exactly right. I okay. mean, I think that we have a lot of conversations with teachers and staff, and and whenever we can with students about learning and about teaching and about how we can create spaces that really support that and create opportunities for that, whether it's, you know, stronger connections to the outdoors so that they can, you know, in California, we can go inside and outside and have the outdoors be part of the learning, whether it's uh, flexibility in spaces so that they can work in different size groups. 
um, you know, going from a whole class of 30 students or, you know, what if we need to work in a group of five and the teacher needs to work with another thing or we need to work on a project? How do we move between different types of activities? Because yeah. school isn't so much the teacher standing at the front of the room telling the kids information anymore. That's not really... You know, all that information is at our fingertips anytime we want it now. So yeah. it's 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 a different thing. It's about learning skills and about learning, uh, you know, how to solve problems and how do we design spaces that that support that. Yeah. Have there been any uh, additional studies to support how important and positively impacting the design is on uh, children's or kids' learning? Yeah, there have. Uh, there's actually a study that was done in the United Kingdom uh, in uh, a few years ago, and it's a peer-reviewed you know, journal published study at the University of Salford in the, in the Manchester area of the UK. And that looked at, I think, over 1,200 schools and, or 1,200 classrooms at a variety of schools in different conditions across the UK. And they really wanted to find out, um, you know, they wanted to control for all the other variables that affect education, like, you know, uh, socioeconomic status and teacher quality and, and all of those kind of things and figure yeah. out, just isolate for what does the design of the space have to do with it? And so they were able to, to do that working with the team at the university there. And they, they identified um, a pretty big gap between the sort of lowest uh, performing classrooms, the sort of most poorly designed classrooms versus the best design was was 16%. So that's a 16% gap in achievement. By that's that. pretty significant, though. It's it's yeah. actually very significant. I yeah. think there are very few things in education that can achieve that oh, that no level of, yeah. of difference. And uh, and that's and then they went further than that and kind of identified a bunch of different specific factors that went into that and how much those influenced that 16%. And so things like uh, lights. And uh, so having good daylight, but also good uh, artificial, well-designed artificial lighting, uh, air, having, you know, good air quality as far as low CO2 and low volatile organic compounds, different contaminants in the air, that those have a big effect on student cognition and their ability to concentrate and those kinds of things. But also things like uh, flexibility of the learning spaces and student ownership of the learning spaces and um the use of color in those spaces not being too distracting, but also not being too bland, yeah. and and all of those things had different effects on it. And it's, it's a it's a great study. Um, it's known by a couple different names, but if you Google clever classrooms, okay. you'll, you'll clever ca cl clever classrooms. So yes, yeah, <laughs> you'll you'll come across that study, and they have a really well put together kind of ten page abstract with graphics and things that explain okay. all that. I've done a few presentations with conferences with different conferences with different people that were a part of that. And uh, it's it's uh, you know it's a great thing to see from an architect's perspective because there's been a lot of over the years relatively small isolated studies about like the impact of daylighting, but it only studied at, you know, ten or twelve schools in, in, in the Central Valley. Okay. That was like early two thousands. And the other things that kind of smaller aspects, but this looked at like holistically the design of a, of a school and how that really impacted learning and in a very rigorous and broad way. Uh, and it's something that I try to cite and promote as yeah. much as possible because I think it's a, it's a really powerful example. It's also something that we've been talking about a lot with, with chips uh, and how we can evolve um, that rating system to kind of go beyond um, it, what it is now, so a big part of what CHIPS does is what we call the CHIPS criteria, which is a green building rating system for schools. So it's similar in, in function in a lot of ways to what LEED is okay. uh, that the U.S. Green Building Council puts together, uh, but focused entirely on schools and focused on student performance and achievement 
even ahead of sustainability. So we think of it as kind of first thinking about student performance and how we can affect that, and then resource conservation, energy conservation, things like that, um, kind of following that. Yeah. So there are standards for things like acoustics in classrooms, which don't have anything to do with kind of traditional sustainability measures of energy use or the environment, right? But it has a lot to do with how well the classroom performs. And uh, But as, as things evolve, kind of getting past that and continuing to find ways that we can incorporate criteria that go back to this research and say, well, if, you know, if it's really important for a classroom to have the right balance of color, how do we develop a criteria to evaluate that in designs uh -huh. so that, you know, a school district can say, well, I, I see this research. I see that this is really important. It can really benefit my students. How do I make sure my, my classroom design delivers this? And that's what we're trying to do with, with CHIPS is that's what it's always been. It's always been research-based and trying to find ways to develop criteria that can deliver those results, but expanding that beyond uh, energy and, and water um, site selection, those kinds of things, and into wellness. And yeah. how, can we, how can we have spaces that you know, deliver that right balance of cover, that deliver the right air quality? A lot of the things are already, you know, a lot of things in that study are already incorporated into CHIPS, like air quality and, and daylighting and things like that are already yeah. very well uh, covered in the criteria right now, but there are other things that that we can get into more, and that's kind of what we're looking at. Is always trying to push that forward, and how do we, you know, have a broader definition of what a high performance school is? And you know, I think the the mission statement for Chips is to make every school a great place to learn. Yeah, and and that's part of that. Yeah. That being said, especially you've got a lot of measurements in there. What's the feedback? from ultimately the kids on it? Do they say like, oh, this is terrific. I love this class. I love mm -hmm. the library. I love this. Uh, yeah. yeah. the direct <laughs> feedback, you know, from uh, the kids. No, absolutely. And, yeah. I, and I think that, I think, I think students really do uh, appreciate that. And I think that, frankly, that's the best part of what we do is being okay. able to go to a school and it's opened and see people really excited about the place they learn, especially when it's a big transformation and maybe they've, we're in a school that was run down and, and was kind of dark and, and low ceilinged and okay. and, and yeah, come into that one that's neat. that's been transformed and other things. And I think I think what we often see in that, what's often remarkable in that is is one, how much students notice and appreciate that, but also how much they see that as a reflection of their community caring about them. And that they often see when they come into that new space about, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. do people really yeah. care about what happens here and that it's important that we're here. And yeah. and sometimes, you know, there are a lot of school facilities in, in California and across the country that are not in good shape and are in disrepair. And and I think that sends a message even when it's not intended to yeah. uh, to students. How about the teachers as well? How's yeah, their, teachers their as well, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think everyone appreciates having a... Um, a nice place to work. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and and that's yeah. what you know, that's what a school is for a teacher. I mean, it's more than that, but yeah. it's uh, having a nice place to work that's comfortable, that's uh, that gives them what they need to teach and to engage their students and uh, and to do that, you know, hopefully to kind of nudge them a little bit and and, and provide an opportunity for um, for them to engage their students in a different way uh, and to you know, to kind of move education forward, as we were talking about before. Yeah. So the teachers, you've got the teachers, you've got the students, mm -hmm. uh, the community. Um, what about even the districts? Do they, Does it inspire them to go, hey, you know what, if we're doing this for these particular schools, let's do that for these upcoming projects. Yeah. I, I think yeah. what we find, too, is it's often, um, it's, it kind of, 
us coming in and designing a school or designing a new classroom building or renovating a classroom building sometimes provides an inflection point for staff and teachers to think a little bit more deeply about what they're doing and about how they're teaching and learning because they're, they're faced with making a decision about what the school is going to look like for the next 25 to 50 years. <laughs> which is not something they ever get to do because that's yeah. that's how long the school building is going to be there and and so that you know we try to encourage people to take that opportunity to think about not just how how what they've done in the past and how they've done things in the past but how should this be done in the future how can we provide you know the the word we use a lot is is flexibility and how can we provide flexibility for the future because you know as much as we think we might know about education right now the safest thing is probably like we really don't know what education is going to look like 10 or 15 years from now and we need spaces that can respond to that and, and have flexibility to you know allow classes to be taught maybe how they've you know to have lectures and be taught in that way but also allow you know things to be much more technology based in different ways too yeah so you you're designing um, structures buildings environments for the unknown yeah well but you know you, you have a good idea of how to do that well obviously <laughs> we try yeah, uh, yeah we'll, that's a uh, only time will tell yeah. uh whether we've been successful <laughs> with that or not but uh i think we try to think about different ways that spaces can be used okay. um we try to think about um you know, how we can design a space that maybe works well for this, but like how could it be used in a different way down the road? How could we maybe have an operable wall in here that can open this classroom up to the next one so that they could have two teachers and 60 students? And we have schools that uh, we designed where uh, American Canyon High School was a school that we designed outside of Vallejo. Um, It opened in 2010. And during the design, they said, we might want to be able to take this wall down between these sets of classrooms throughout the campus because we may want to go to this model where we teach students. And then about halfway construction through construction, they said, we want to do that now. Oh. And so we had designed it that way on purpose so that they, the wall wasn't structural and that the, you yeah. know, it, the electrical system, the where surface mounted and the mechanical systems could work, whether it was two spaces or one. And so they were able to do that. And that's because they kind of adopted a, a curriculum where you know, instead of having an English class and a history class and a drama class, they'll teach all three of those things as one subject with 60 students and, and uh, two teachers, you know, over a two-hour block. Well, they'll teach all those things collaboratively and interactively. And so that's a whole different way of teaching and learning. And so we had to think about how do we design a space that can support that but can also support a more traditional model and, and hopefully can be adapted to other things that we haven't thought of yet. Yeah. How far do you think ahead um, – when you're working with the schools, the districts, and chips mm-hmm. to go, okay, you know, you mentioned here 50 years, but is it even longer? Um, did you, uh, do you have a standard to go, hey, let's look at how this will look yeah. 100 years from now, 200 years from now? I, I think know. not quite that far, okay. for sure. But, uh, well, you know, I, I think what we mostly try to do is, is, you know, not try to fool ourselves that we think we can guess mm-hmm. at how stuff is going to work mm-hmm. that far out in the future, even 10 years out in the future. But, uh, but just think about how things could how a space could be used differently, but also how we can make it so it can be somewhat more easily, you know, changed through construction, so much more, somewhat more easily renovated and things over time. Um, you know, steel frame buildings are more flexible because the walls are all not load bearing, okay. right? The, the steel structure is load bearing and it has fewer things, uh, you know, fewer structural things that, that have to be moved around. So it makes it easier for them to renovate. Uh, but also thinking about that through design, you know, how the electrical systems are run down into the walls. If they're run overhead instead of in the slab, then it's easier to move those walls around. Yeah. Um, some of those things. So we were able to have different conversations uh, about that and, and think about that as we go um, through the design of buildings and, and, and think about them. Yeah. 
This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. The California Water Impact Network, or CWIN, is a, ne- is a nonprofit organization that works to ensure equitable and environmentally sensitive uses of California's water. Recent goals have included ensuring the adequate water flow through the SF Bay Delta and upstream rivers, stopping poor irrigation practices such which can waste water and poison our land, waterways, and wildlife, and ensuring that water resources are allocated fairly. If you'd like to become a member or donate, go to c-win.org. That's c-win.org. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? You can find the perfect products for your design, plus all the information you need to finish your construction documents and written specifications on Modeler.com. It's a tool for architects and other design professionals, featuring products from over 350 brands. You can search for products, see how they've been used by others, compare them with similar items, ask manufacturers specific questions, then access the information as well as the BIM, CAD, Revit files you need to populate your construction drawings. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous unwriting of the production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. Thank you for tuning in. This is The Modern Architect. Our guest today is Aaron Jobson, architect and principal at QKA Quattrochi and Quack Architects and board member of Collaborative for High Performance Schools. We're talking, uh, Aaron, about um, chips and how, how have you seen, I know you work in California, Northern California specifically, but how does it, uh, how does, how do you help the re- remain, the rest of the country with yeah. your skills? So um, chips started as a, um, as a California organization. It was actually the initial development was funded by the California Energy Commission. And, uh, but it's now over the last 10 years or so has expanded across the country. And there are, uh, there's a national chips criteria, chips us. <laughs> and, uh, and then there are also a couple uh, different regional criteria that uh, one of the things that chips does as well is adapt what, uh, national criteria to the specific conditions of each region. So there's a California criteria and we, in developing that, we emphasized, uh, you know, water conservation a little bit higher than, than the national criteria did. We added some credits for different things that are specifically important for California. We also aligned things with the, the codes here in California. So referencing the Title 24, our, our green building, co- our, the green building code, but also the energy code and things like that and, and, and making sure that. And, but there's ones for Hawaii, there's ones for the Northeast, there's, uh, there's different criteria for around the country. So um, I think the organization has done a good job of expanding across the country and engaging stakeholders in different levels, um, different government organizations. There are some parts of the country that require um, chips be used for school construction as part of um, kind of a state mandate. There, there are some where it's voluntary and optional. And, and really just trying to advocate for, uh, you know, school design and good school design, high-performance learning spaces, and provide resources for that. And uh, and that's something that the organization is is always trying to do. Yeah, so th- 
you're uh, are you being counseled or you act as a counselor for other states <clears throat> yourself <clears throat> no not myself okay. but but the chips organization yeah. the the leadership there dr stephanie mason is the technical director at chips and so she does a lot of advocacy around that um going out to different places going to conferences in different states doing trainings uh recently we've uh, been making a bigger push into texas there's a texas chips and uh i think just over the last few months they did a whole series of trainings across texas about getting kind of the design communities but uh you know architects but also um school district folks kind of up to speed and, and understanding what chips is and how it can be an important tool for them to provide high performance learning environments for their students so um, that's kind of a big part of what we do, going yeah. to green builds, going to education facilities, conferences across the country and, and making sure that it's part of the conversation as much as we can. And, you know, getting back to the research and things that we were talking about before and making the case for why designing a high performance school matters and also how you go about doing that and how you go about making sure um, that, you know, that those promises are delivered on uh, on each project. Um CHIPS has a couple of different options for how uh, certification works. So okay. we have a, a traditional um, kind of third-party verified uh, system, which is called CHIPS Verified, where you submit a set of documentation that, that proves that you've met these different criteria and it's, and, and it's reviewed by an independent third party to make sure that, yes, this building has you know, provided daylighting in the, in the proper ways. It has met these energy performance requirements. We review the energy model, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a traditional green building approach, and there's a level, a really high level of accountability there that's important. There's also a high level of cost to that, uh, or not a high level of cost, but there's a lot of work that goes into that. (laughs) (laughs) So we know that that's not always an option, especially for public school districts. So we have another program that's called Chips Designed, which is uh, a lower level of intensity on the the sort of verification and uh, accountability where there's a review by, uh, by the CHIPS team of the scorecard. Uh, um, and there's an opportunity for interaction with the design team and asking questions and things like that, but there's not the same detailed review of documentation. It, it relies a little bit more on kind of a not quite self-certification, but, but the, the design team, you know, sort of verifying themselves that they've met um, yeah. those requirements. So it, it gives an opportunity for that to work on whatever level they need it to. Uh, CHIPS also has a program called the Operations Report Card, which is more of an evaluation of operations and design of existing buildings. So it's something you can use to continue to evaluate your your schools to make sure that they are they continue to be high performance as well. Yeah. So is the, with CHIPS, do you continue to be a part of the process of the school and the districts? <sighs> Yeah, that's the goal. internally, in a way? That's the goal. I think that's the goal with the operations report card is to continue to be a tool. And and one of the things we're exploring, too, is how do we involve students in that process? Because that evaluation of existing buildings and operations, I think, can be a great learning opportunity, too. It's a great project-based learning kind of activity that involves a lot of different disciplines and involves working with people. And and, uh, I think it'd be a great learning opportunity for kids. And, And we've always found that... Uh, you know, kids are the best tool for that. If we want to make sure that, that uh, you know, the lights are getting turned off yeah. or the windows are getting opened when it's nice outside, then getting the students educated and involved in that is, is going to be a, a good way to do that. If nothing else, there's a lot more of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, teachers have got a lot on their hands yeah. at any one moment in time. So, um, and it's a, I think it's a great learning opportunity. So that's kind of part of what the, the CHIPS operations report card is for is to provide that tools but we're also looking for ways to kind of link that with curriculum and involve that yeah. on a more grassroots level i guess are there any uh, uh outreaches or uh, outreach or conversation with even universities 
to uh, either segue mm-hmm. or kind of how do they incorporate what it is you what you're doing with K through 12? Sure, I, I think that's a good question. Uh, Chips is really focused on K through 12 schools. Okay, um, so it's not it, it doesn't really push into the the higher education world as much. Uh, it is it is a pretty different ecosystem in a lot of ways, um, just as far as kind of how education is organized, kind of organizationally at that level, but also how facilities are delivered and those kind of things. So that's not really what Chips does, but um, all the principles, all the ideas are definitely applicable to to higher education facilities too. So they help as well. And mm-hmm. um, I would think going back to how the, you, you design it from the child's, the kid's perspective, and you kind of yeah. go out, outward. Um, that being said, you quantify almost all the measurements, you know, the, hey, the, the satisfaction, the happiness, the test scores. The, mm-hmm. um, how is that kind of measured? I know you've gone over several of them. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a tough thing to do, okay. too. Um, think I think so. I, I mean, and that's where that study that we yeah. talked about earlier, the Clever Classrooms, where it's also referred to as that HEAD study, and I, that's an acronym for whose definition I don't remember. Uh, but it, uh, it's, uh, that's where that was really interesting because it was a broad enough sample size and a rigorous enough process to isolate for all the other you know, hundreds of variables that affect student achievement. And so that's always going to be it, – it's not something that, that I as an architect really am capable of doing. Like I could go and you know, we build a new classroom building on a campus and we could look at test scores before and we could look at test scores after. But there's a hundred other factors that could contribute to what that test score thing was. They might have, you know, those students might have had a new, te- a different teacher. Okay. They might have had a whole yeah. different curriculum that was installed. They might, have, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it might be a whole different group of students for whatever reason. They changed the boundaries of the school or whatever thing. So, so I, I think it's important uh, in anything like that to make sure you're not doing that anecdotally to make sure that that study is done rigorously and, and can control for all the many other factors. So um, it's something that, you know, I know myself and a lot of other people that I talk to would like to replicate that kind of research here in the U.S. and are working on ways to do that in, in, in different ways. Um, but it's it's definitely hard to do on a, on a case-by-case okay. basis. I mean, I think we all believe that those things make an example, yeah. and, and, and larger studies definitely support that. Uh, and, and we can see that on anecdotally, just talking to teachers that work in these spaces, talking to students that, that, you know, live in these schools really, and, uh, can tell that it, you know, makes an impact for them and that they approach education a little bit differently, having these different spaces, but also just appreciate that, you know, the investment their community has made in them as well. Yeah. Now I noticed some of the schools around here that I've seen on, uh, on, on your website that you've done and what I thought was really impressive, impressive was you managed to maintain the integrity of the original design of the school mm-hmm. while still putting in the uh, modern uh, amenities and, and uh, efficiencies. How, how, is that just kind of the culture at, uh, that you want to foster or is it just the requirement of the cities? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. I, I think that whatever... Um, you know, working in the Bay Area as a relatively developed area, there, there's not, uh, and especially over the last 10 years, there haven't been a lot of like, we're just going to go build a brand new school here. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot more infill and expanding yeah. existing schools. Uh, if nothing else, you know, real estate is too expensive to, to warrant that. But uh, there's a lot. So we always approach that in a very contextual way and wanting to make sure the building fits in with its environment, but also in a community-based way too. So engaging the community early in the design process, understanding what what their wishes and desires are for that campus and figuring out how we blend that together. And I think one of the things that we're proud of in our work really is it's not like there's 
you know, one style that we apply to every building or anything like that, that we're, we're responding to the context of wherever we're working. And we have some facilities that are, you know, pretty traditional in design because they're on more traditional campuses. And we have a lot more that are more modern in design because mm-hmm. they're on campuses that are more modern or they're in places that uh, people wanted to go in that direction on their facilities uh, as well. And, um, you know, I think that's an important part of it in the end. We're designing these facilities for that community, and it needs to be their school. It will be their school. Yeah, sure, <laughs> and so sure. it needs to respond to kind yeah. of what what's appropriate and what makes the most sense from then. And then, as you were saying, kind of starting at the student level and really understanding what's important to them and what's that experience. And that's some of the most fun that we get to have is really, you know, as often as we can, we get to work with students and, and kind of talk to them about on purposes, yeah, I know. Okay. We'll often try to engage students in, um, you know, just listening sessions and asking them questions. We more and more lately, we've been trying to incorporate a process called design thinking, which was actually developed here at Stanford at the D School, and uh, using that protocol to to help engage students, but also teachers and, and administrators and everyone else in the process and, and kind of, and that process is really about is you know the the first step in that is is empathy. And really understanding, you know, what it's like for other people to experience that space. Yeah. Uh, because that's, you know, I've always felt that's one of the most important qualities for an architect to have. is Because you're never designing for yourself. You're always designing for other people. Yeah. And to think about how those people are going to experience that space, what their, you know, wishes and desires are for that space, what their needs are for that space. And, and be able to think about it from their perspective. And I think that's really, uh, really important for schools. Yeah. What recent projects have you done? I know you were out in uh, Cupertino. I don't know if you're at liberty to say. <clears throat> yeah, no, the... absolutely. As we were talking about before, all of our projects are very okay. public. There's not, <laughs> they're literally on, uh, you know, on school district websites and, and uh, public uh, public property. So uh, there's nothing secret. But we've done a lot of work. Uh, as I said before, we work with schools all over the Bay Area. But one of the projects that I've been involved with a lot over the last five years or so is is kind of a multi-phase renovation and expansion of Cupertino High School um, here in the, the South Bay in Silicon Valley. And uh, that's involved uh, a lot of projects over the last few years because it's an occupied high school. It's one that was needing to grow from, I think, 15, 1,600 school students to 2,600 students because that area is growing a lot. It's, it's turning over a lot of uh, we like to kind of refer to Cupertino High School was designed as a, a ranch-style high school uh, because it was in a very much a ranch-style yeah. neighborhood. Absolutely. But that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Most of those ranch-style houses have been torn down and replaced with apartment buildings. And so there's a lot more students there, and they, they can't go buy another high school site. Yeah. Uh, so they've been expanding their existing schools. And so over the last few years at that campus, we've uh, – we tore down their old cafeteria and replaced it with a new two-story building that houses their new cafeteria, their administration, and also their library, uh, and and a new quad that connects to that. And with that, we really that was a, a case where we talked to a lot of students early in that design process to talk about what they needed because it's a very student-centered space, right? The cafeteria yeah. and the library are a lot about in a high school in the quad, right? Yeah. Are a lot of uh, a student's experience of that. So you school. really care about it. I mean, obviously, yeah. but no, yeah, absolutely. You get and, into it about mm-hmm. what the I, people are going to be <clears throat> exactly. Okay. And I, that was a great project to talk to students and figure out that you know they, we needed to create a bunch of different kinds of spaces for them to work together and hang out and socialize and you know that's a, a very high-achieving high school and a very 
a dedicated set of students and providing, you know, spaces that are kind of more informal, like a Starbucks almost kind of cafe kind of setting, you know, outdoor learning spaces, but also going into a library. One of the things we heard from students, you know, we approached that initially thinking, well, these are these are millennials, you know, they're 21st <laughs> century kids and they're going to just want places to hang out all the time. But they were, you know, they told us, no, we need a place that we can go where we have to be quiet so our, our friends can't come interrupt us when we need to study. And so that was a great insight for us. And we said, okay, so the library is still needs to have some of that kind of traditional yeah. clear boundary. This is the quiet area kind of aspect of a library, but it also has conference rooms. It also has a space that you can divide in different ways to be a computer lab or a seminar room or uh, a large meeting space where you can do a presentation for 200 people. And so that was a great project. We're working right now under construction. We have a new uh, a set of three two-story classroom buildings that we've designed uh, that are going to be built over the next um, – in the next six to eight months that uh, will provide some additional classroom space on campus. So that's 22 new classrooms and six new science labs and a career uh, tech lab that'll be built there. And in between there, we renovated the old library and the old admin into classrooms. And so there's been a whole process over the last oh, seven, eight years, I think, uh, of renovating and expanding that campus. And that's been a great, it's a great team to work with there at the district and at the school and the students. And it's been a great uh, process of kind of helping them through that transformation. This is the Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford. The Loop with Drew Deep is a radio show featuring electronic music ranging from house to techno to down tempo and everything that's good in the underground. Each week, the show features releases, exclusive mixes, top picks, interviews, and live guest DJs from around the world. That's The Loop with Drew Deep from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Monday mornings. Stay tuned for the end of all passion. No, sorry. Stay tuned for the end of The Modern Architect until 10 a.m. Thank you. We're talking today with Aaron Johnson, architect and principal at Quatroki Quok Architect. You can find them at qka.com. And chips, you can find at chps.net. That's chps.net. Aaron, how do you take shaping empathy, as you said, and putting that empathy that's into a design, an actual design in a real life space? Yeah, um, it's a good question, Tom. Thanks. Uh, and thank you for getting the pronunciation down. You're getting good at that. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I, I think what I mean by that is just that you really have to think about how uh, how other people are going to live in that space and how that what that experience is going to be. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy about architecture is, you know, having the creativity to take that and think about what someone needs and make something up that that tries to fit that need and tries to support that. And so I think... You know, that's something that we have to do with our skill as designers is is design spaces that uh, that take that into consideration. So I think you want to, you know, like the example I was talking about for Cupertino High School, we, we heard from the students that they need a place that they need to be quiet, that they, they can be quiet, right? So we, uh, we thought about how we can, you know, 
create a library space that's very connected, has an interior connection to the cafeteria so that students can move through that space and have a lot of different environments to work in. But there's, the, you know, there's a glass wall and a set of doors and you go into the library and it's clear that you're kind of going into a different space and it's a higher volume space. It's got more light in it, but there's also window seats and there's uh, you know, smaller tables and things like that that students can work at. And then there's the stacks and, and, and that kind of aspect of it. But there's also, you know, we made sure that there were small conference rooms there that have a lot of windows in them so that a group of students can go in there and work on a project and work on their presentation but be supervised. Um, so thinking through all those things and understanding that, you know, how do we get from we need this space to study to creating a space that works for that, but also works for the librarian, yeah, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. works for the vice principal that has to keep tabs on all these, you know, 15, 16 year olds and, and, uh, and makes all that work and fits within their budget and, and can be built on time and, and all of those things. And I think that's what we have to, to try to use our experience and our expertise and our skill to do is try yeah. to balance all those needs and, and find the right solution and, you know, work through different options to figure out which one, uh, works best. And I think, um, you know, it's one of the areas where using the building information modeling and the 3D modeling tools that we use now helps a little bit because we can we can walk through those spaces yeah. and feel them a little bit more. But also we can walk our clients through those spaces in a three-dimensional environment and they can feel them a little bit more and understand them. And I think that really helps yeah. people understand what that space is going to look and feel like when they have a hard time visualizing that themselves, which which most people do. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of how does it make them feel, how do you feel, or even you know, chips, or mm-hmm. uh, it, when you you know that the the impact and the positivity of the, the obviously they go from children to kids to to moving on and mm-hmm. whatever institutions of education they, they they move on to. How do you guys feel about knowing that you had a very positive impact in their lives? By uh, your skills, your expertise, and your uh, with your passions and and, uh, and wants for them. I mean, I, I think we take a lot of pride in that, and and I think that's something that, you know, uh, our our firm specializes in education, and but I think that's really why, um, because we do take a lot of pride in that, and we take a lot of joy from that, and and uh, really. Um, you know, I think that's it, that really comes back to every time we talk about this and what kind of work we do. When I when I go and talk to college students at a, at a career fair, when I go uh, when I'm interviewing for new employees, that's what we talk about as to why we like doing this work and why we find it really rewarding. And I think uh, most people that come to work for us either um, that's why they're coming to work for us, or or they they find that out real quick that. Um, that it's a rewarding thing to do to be able to finish a project at the end and then go see, you know, students walking around and using that project. And, and, and uh, you know, today I was at a meeting at Cupertino High School and, uh, you know, there at lunch and I can see kids walking around and going in through that cafeteria and, and you get to see they don't always use it the way you think you're going to, which yeah. is fine. And, <laughs> and uh, but, the, but it's a very rewarding experience to kind of see your buildings kind of occupied and used. And, and I think one of the things that's unique about schools too is that we um you know we get to talk and work with the people during design that are actually going to be using our space and that's actually pretty rare for architecture you know if you if you're working on an office building if you're working on a shopping center or something like that you never talk to any of the people that are actually going to be there (laughs) the people that are going to work in the stores the people that are going to live in those apartments they're never at the table you're working with the business people that are that are running the businesses that that operate those things but 
uh, with schools, we're often talking to the very teachers that three years later will be teaching in that space that we design. We're often, you know, talking to the kids that may still be in school there, or maybe their little brother or whatever. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, it, it's very much a personal <laughs> and for me anyways, it's, it's very much a personal thing. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking just as you're saying that is could that be a good reason why you know the chips and you have continued success yeah i think so i mean i i I do think that um part of our success as a firm as qka is our passion for designing educational facilities because we you know all these things are linked together so our pride and in making a difference in that way links to to our our passion for doing this work and i think that has a lot to do with our our success in, in, in doing this work too. And, and I think I think the same is true for, for CHIPS too. I mean, that was started because people had a passion for designing better learning spaces and wanted to make that something that happens more, uh, you know, that happened yeah. across the state and, and across the country. And that's, um, I think that's definitely still what drives all the people that are on the board. I mean, we, uh, we had a board meeting last week and every, we started by everyone going around the table and talking about why you know, why they're involved in CHIPS and why it was important to them. And that's, you know, to sum it up, that's essentially what everyone said is that they care about kids and that they, yeah. you know, they, that uh, they have some role in the design community and this is the way they express that, whether it's because of their own kids or their own experience as a kid or, or whatever. It's usually, you know, everyone has a connection to education at some yeah, point, right? Hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that the feedback just would seem like endless. Yeah, Positive and you know challenges. Yeah. Well, the reason I was at Cupertino High School today is because we didn't do quite a good enough job of controlling the sun into the principal's office, and so it gets very hot in there, and she has glare on her computer and stuff. So we needed to figure out how we can adjust the blinds and and, you know deal with some things to balance the mechanical system a little better to make that work. But you did figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure that out, and it's it's fine. But it's uh, you know we get that kind of feedback too, which is which is great. It's a learning experience for us, and and uh, we figure out ways to solve those problems, but. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, we often, you know, we have long relationships with our clients too. So we're often working with the same school district for 15 or 20 years. And so we'll, we'll get to know the, those people, but those schools and facilities too. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that being said, to get back to the feedback on that, you also get it from the community. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly having to, uh, improve with, for lack of a better word. I hope it, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know everyone says that they want to improve. Yeah. But you're actually being really uh, put to task to improve from everyone, from the students to the <sighs> teachers to the administrators to the cities to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, how is dealing with that challenge? Um, I don't – you know, I don't know if I think of it as a challenge. Yeah. I, I think it's it's – you know, it's just part of what we do that we're designing facilities that are community facilities and we don't have one client. You know, we have thousands of clients in a lot of ways for each project where, um, you know, there's a large group of people that are going to benefit from the school and are involved in the design of the school. And, you know, all of our projects are paid for by taxpayer bonds. So literally everyone in that community is is paying for that school. You know, they, they send money in with their property tax bill every year. That is what funds that project. And so, you know, that's a that's an important responsibility of of uh you know being responsible about how we design schools but also um how we engage that community in the design of the schools and inform them of what's going on and that's often something that we work closely with school districts to do nice do you have any favorite projects just because they were um not everything's great it's because they were difficult and and how did you overcome that difficulty like oh it turned out beautiful uh well one of my i mean the the 
the largest project I've worked on and one of my uh, kind of the probably one of the most important projects in my career was American Canyon High School, which I mentioned earlier. But it's the largest project our firm has ever done. And I was one of the project architects for that. And uh, so there's a new 2,200 student, 260,000 square foot high school. Um, which is not something we get the opportunity to do very often. And we were able to bring a, a high level of sustainable design to that. It was a CHIPS verified project, which I mentioned that process earlier. So it had a high level of sustainability and accountability and, and you know, a lot of challenges <laughs> for how to figure out how to do that at, at every stage of the way from keeping it on budget to – um, you know, figuring out how to design the different academic spaces that they needed and how to, you know, how to make a, a quad at the heart of the campus that connected everything but wasn't overwhelmingly large, you know, that you could still inhabit on a personal level. And uh, to, you know, we had a ground source geothermal uh, kind of heat pump system we had to figure out how to integrate into the project. We had a, a solar system we had to figure out how to integrate into the project and pay for. And and uh, there were there were a lot of challenges to that, but they were all fun. It was a great it's a great client to work for that we worked for for almost twenty five years, and and um, and it was it was a it was a fun project. It was a challenging project. Our projects also take a long time. We probably worked I worked on that project for five years, and Ooh. I always tell people that uh, when we started that project, my wife and I were thinking about having kids, <laughs> and when we finished, I had two kids, and uh, so That's it was awesome. it was formative in that way too. <laughs> Uh, so that's been a fun and challenging project. We're we're just finishing up a project that's actually at my kids' school, so that's fun too. Yeah, uh, not one that I worked on closely, but one that I that I knew about and was involved with a little bit, and involved with more now that my kids go to school there. But awesome. uh, so that's been kind of fun on a whole different level. Yeah. Uh, so those are those are a couple. That's awesome, mm-hmm. Aaron. It's been terrific having you here today. A real honor. We appreciate you coming out to Stanford today and being our guest. Thank you. <laughs> Go Bears. <laughs> You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Aaron Jobson, architect and principal at QKA Architects. That's Quatroki and Quok Architects. And is also a board member for the Collaborative for High Performance Schools located in Sacramento, California. To find out more, go to www.chps.net. That's www.chps.net. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. The recording engineer and production manager is Akshay Jaggi. Assistant engineer is McGregor Joyner, and we're all assisted by Bryce Carter. The executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with over 350 building product manufacturers, large and small. Modeler.com works with architects from 80% of the top 100 architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for their building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of their production and the broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. Tune in again next week at 10 a.m. for The Modern Architect. Thank you.